Well, thanks for joining us uh, this year. Uh, already this year has uh, turned out to be something I wasn't planning on. Um, as many of you know, uh, we sent out an email yesterday. Uh, as we came into this new year, uh, I noticed on uh, New Year's Day, uh, I couldn't smell or taste anything. So basically what I did was uh, realize that uh, those were pretty severe symptoms or, or serious symptoms of, of the, the virus deal. So uh, yesterday I had a uh, test, uh, COVID test done, and, but it's going to be three to five days before I get the results. So I got a hold of the board and we decided what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go ahead and record this um, ahead of time. And then, uh, so those of you that are watching online, uh, we've already recorded this on Saturday night and then put it on for Sunday. And for those of you that are gathered in the building this morning, uh, you are actually watching it as well uh, from what we recorded yesterday. So I uh, brought my wife up here. She's helping me out. So she's going to run the video today. And uh, basically, I, I talked to my doctor. He said, look, your best deal at this point, um, until you know something, he said, and I, you're probably going to find out that it's positive. But he said, basically, what you need to do is just stay away from people for about 14 days. So uh, that's kind of my plan. So uh, this, we always knew this day could probably come, so we, we, we've kind of figured this out on this was how we're going to handle it uh, until we get through this. So as far as I go, I, I'm feeling fine other than uh, can't taste or smell anything and, and a raspy throat, but I've had the throat thing now for a couple of months, so uh, that's not anything new or, or unusual. So uh, Gene and I are doing well, but like I say, I'm going to kind of hide uh, from everybody for the next couple of weeks. This morning, we are finishing our series on the life of Moses. And I wanted to end the year last year with it, but I just couldn't, couldn't get it all into one message. So we're going to wrap it up this morning as we head into the new year, and it actually kind of makes a pretty nice transition for us. As the children of Israel enter on a new journey on the, new, on the promised land. So uh, when we last left them uh, Sunday, uh, last Sunday, uh, the children of Israel had traveled um, all the way to the Jordan River. Uh, we talked about the idea that Moses had died, Joshua was now the leader, that at this point the uh, oldest person in the group that's going to enter the promised land is 60 years of age. Uh, Joshua and Caleb are older, but they're the only two that are over the age of 60 that are going to enter the promised land, and Joshua's going to lead these people in. And so we talked about how Joshua took three days and he spent some time preparing and he talked about the people and, and got them ready to go. And so uh, now we have Israel, they're camped on the bank, um, they're ready to cross the Jordan River and the Jordan's at flood stage at this point. And so uh, we want to talk a little bit about the background and the history, then we're going to get into the text and then we're going to learn some lessons that I think will be beneficial to us as we go forward into 2021. 20, uh, uh, first of all, you need to understand some things about the Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River actually um, starts up in Mount Hermon. It travels about 25 miles down to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, once it gets to the Sea of Galilee, then it travels basically another 65 miles to the Dead Sea. Um, now what that uh, means is as the crow flies, the Jordan River is only about 90 miles. But what you need to understand is that it covers about 200 miles because of all of its twists and turns. So here's a map 
that will kind of give you an idea of, of the Jordan River. And as you can see, it runs all the way up from the Sea of Galilee there at the top down to the Dead Sea. Um, it covers about 200 miles of area. Uh, it runs, um, it starts at 9,000 feet above sea level and it goes to 1,400 feet below sea level. So it's a very quickly moving um, river. Uh, it's not as big as you think. Here's a typical picture of the Jordan River. Um, at widest, it's mostly about, about 100 feet wide, uh, somewhere about 3 to 10 feet deep. If you were to go to the Jordan River today and want to be baptized, you'd go to a place similar to this. Um, here's a, a picture that kind of gives you a, a little bit better idea of probably the type of area where Israel would have crossed. Um, but the Jordan River is incredibly uh, significant. Uh, it's mentioned uh, in the scriptures, it's mentioned 181 times in the Old Testament. So it plays a big part in the Old Testament. About 18 times in the New Testament, even in the New Testament, even uh, the baptism of Jesus Christ uh, occurs here at the Jordan River. What I want you to understand is that when we talk about the Jordan River in, in both the Bible context and in, the, and, and in just general Bible knowledge, um, you have to understand the concepts behind the Jordan River. Um, you need to think of the Jordan River as, as a barrier. Because you see, as the children of Israel leave the desert and go into the promised land, the one thing that's preventing them from getting there is the Jordan River. And so there are a couple of issues that are going to come up for Israel. One of the issues is the idea of your God is a God of the desert. Is your God also a God of the water? And up until now, for 40 years, Israel had knew, known God as a God of the desert, but not necessarily a God of the water. Um, and so the crossing of the Jordan is significant because it's a water miracle, not a desert miracle. Um, and it's much different than the, the crossing um, at the Red Sea. The other issue that Israel is going to have to wrestle with is, could the God of the desert be the God of the promised land? You see, the land that Israel was going into was very different from the land that they were leaving. The land that Israel uh, was in before the desert, God had been basically a provider. They had been able to see God, whether it be on uh, a pillar of fire uh, or a cloud, they could see God every day. And that was going to end now. They were going into an area that was controlled by Baal. They were going into an area that was lush, an area of luxury, an area of excess. It was an area in which um, there was a land of plenty. And it would be easy for them to look at that and think that the gods of Baal had provided that for the people. So Israel was now going to struggle with this idea of, are you going to follow the God of the Hebrews, of, of the children of Israel, or are you going to follow the God of the pagans? And so, again, Israel had seen that in Egypt, but most of those people had died. So now we're dealing with a younger generation that's going to struggle with that issue. On which God do you follow? So as we make this transition from the desert into the promised land, you have to understand that it is a, it is a difficult transition for the children of Israel. There's a lot at stake for them. And the big question is, which God are they going to follow? Um, the other thing, and I have to say this before we get into the text, is you have to be careful of thinking of the promised land as heaven. Now, I don't want to mess up all of your, 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 your hymns and, and, and songs and country songs, all the songs that you like about Beulah land and things like that, but you need to understand. Um, in crossing the Jordan River, Israel is still going to have battles, and they're still going to have struggles, and they're still going to have to fight. So 
saying that the promised land is heaven is really not an accurate picture. Um, it, it, it's, an, it's an idea, and it's a nice idea, but the reality of it is uh, the promised land is really, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the struggle of the Christian life, the Christian journey. So with that in mind, let's go to our text. Uh, we find ourselves in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, and here's what it says. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they that bear the Ark were come to Jordan, the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks at this time of harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up on a heap, very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down from the sea and the plain, even of the salt sea, failed, and they were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. So basically, what, uh, and then it says, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground, and all the people were passed clean over unto Jordan. So what happens is, you have in this story <laughs> that the children of Israel, uh, the, the, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant, walked by first. And as they went down that bank, as they started to enter into the water, um, all of a sudden, the water started to, to, and it doesn't say part like it did in the Red Sea, but they rolled back. And so it, it, it made this incredibly dry area, and, and the priests stand in the middle now on dry ground. And Israel now starts to walk across. So uh, the priests start this journey. And then it says what happened is that Joshua chapter 4, then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan. Take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign unto you that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, what mean ye by these stones that you shall answer them? that the waters of Jordan were cut off from before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. And the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Basically what happens is, Joshua says, now here's what we're going to do. After everybody gets across, the children of Israel are standing there, and Moses had picked out 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel. They are then to walk down to where the priests are standing and gather from the river 12 stones. Now, again, this river at best 3 to 10 feet deep with water. So, But the stones are of significant size that they put them up on their shoulder. They carry them, and they put them in a pile. And they make a pile of these 12 stones. And, and later this is going to get moved. But Joshua says, here's what I want now. From this point on, when your children and you, you're walking around or you're taking a hike, and you come up on this pile of stones, and your children say, Daddy, Mommy, what's, what's that pile? I want you to tell them what God did here. And so we see that as a marker, as a, as a marker that is set up. Then what happens is uh, the priests leave, the water comes back. And then Israel, as you go on into the chapter, and, and, and I would wish we had time to do it, but we don't. Um, maybe it's for another series uh, on the life of Joshua, maybe. But what happens next is there are two significant events. Um, Israel celebrates and they commit themselves to the Lord. They celebrate by having, by, first of all, they commit themselves to the Lord, and then actually it's a celebration. But they commit themselves to the Lord, first of all, by having each of the men um, who had not been circumcised, circumcised. 
And that's a big deal because for 40 years of the wilderness, apparently they hadn't done that. So they make this incredibly serious commitment. And then, um, and then they have a Passover. And it, the Bible tells us it was the first time basically that they had Passover since Egypt. And so they celebrate. And it is at that moment that the manna stops. And from this point on, Israel now is dependent upon God to provide for them and for them to provide for themselves as they're in a promised land. So that's the story uh, in a nutshell. And uh, I want to yank a couple of principles out for us as we um, head into 2021 that I think will help us. Um, here's the first one. When you have a, a, a Jordan, a, a difficult period, a difficult time in your life, a crisis, uh, an obstacle, something preventing you, what you need to understand is that first step is always the hardest. You need to understand that like Israel, it's easy, it's easy to stand on a bank and look over. It's very hard to go forward. And I see that in salvation. I see a lot of people who, have, who, have, who they understand that Jesus died on the cross. They understand that Jesus came. And they get all of that together. But they're just not ready to make that commitment. They're just not ready to make that thing. One of the things that's interesting, um, I, I love this picture of the Jordan River. And here's why. If you notice... If you're going to get down, if you're going to go into the Jordan River, once you take that first couple of steps down that bank, there's no turning back. I mean, at that point, you're committed. Uh, in fact, there are some Bible scholars that actually believe that Israel, that the priests had to walk a little ways in before God rolled the waters back. And, and I don't know if that's true or not. It, it depends on how you look at that word um, with the idea of uh, uh, the, 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 the skirt, the, that idea um, of the water. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Look, sometimes in life, you've got to really take that big first step. And one of the things that, that the priests do is the priests willingly take that first step and head down that bank to cross over into the promised land. Because you see, the priests understood something. They understood that they weren't going alone. They understood not only did they carry the ark of God with them, but they understood that God was with them. I like the way Isaiah the prophet says it. Here's what he said. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the book of Isaiah, that's an incredible promise that God gives to the children of Israel. And he says, look, you need to know you're not in this alone. And here's what I would say to you. As you go forward into 2021, whatever that obstacle, whatever that difficulty, whatever that barrier, whatever that thing is in front of you, you're not alone. God goes with us as we go forward into 2021. Second idea is this. Always take something with you from your Jordan experience. I think that's an interesting principle in this passage in that what happens with the children of Israel is that after they cross over, after God's done his thing, Joshua says, look, now before we go any further, we're going to remember this. And so he takes one leader from each tribe and he says, go grab a stone, let's put up a pile and let's have a pile. Here's a more. Let's remember this because in a moment, the water's going to come crashing over and all this is going to be gone and it's going to be as if nothing ever happened. But let's take something that shows, that reminds us that something great happened here. I would challenge you, as we end 
2020. Sometimes it's easy to go, okay, my hands are done, I'm over, it's over, I'm through, I never want to think about it again. There's, we don't want to do that. We want to look back on 2020 and we want to think of some of the things that God taught us, some of the things that God did, some of the markers so that we remember what God did in 2020. Because the reality of it is, if you're watching this morning, you're here because God brought you through 2020. It may have been banged up and dinged up and everything else, but you got through 2020. And you need to do something to remind you so that down the line, you have a way to be able to remember what God did in your life. Because it's going to be easy at some point to forget some of the great lessons that we did learn in 2020 about the importance of fellowship, about the importance of connection, about the importance of family, about the importance of spending time together, about the importance of controlling our schedule instead of letting our schedule control us. It's going to be those kinds of lessons that it's really important for us to carry through and make those markers to never forget. A third idea is this idea of it's our responsibility to teach it to our children. One of the things that you see in this story is the purpose of the stones, the purpose of the marker, was to be able to teach to their kids. And he said, what I want you to do is as you're walking forward and you're going through your life and your kids look at it and they go, hey, mom, dad, what's that pile of stones? You can tell them what God has done. Joshua here emphasizes the, the, the responsibility that parents have to set the example and to teach their children. I think that's one of the things that bothers me so much about what I see in, in, in some of the generations to follow, is that one of the things that, and, and we have people here who do it very, very well. We have people here who are very, very good at trying to instill into their children um, biblical principles and biblical morality and those kinds of things. But I see as a whole of a generation where we've kind of minimized that. So <clears throat> this issue of, of kindness and this issue of, of, of patience and this issue of uh, showing respect to authority, we've kind of let go in a culture. And it's our job as parents, it's our job as grandparents, it's our job as adults to not only set the example, but to teach this to our kids. And that's one of the things that you see is there was a purpose behind those stones. There was a purpose behind uh, that memorial. And then um, one of the last lessons that, that I think is the most difficult for us to grasp, because, again, we don't understand it, but it's the idea of celebration and commitment. Um, one of the things that you see is Israel takes the time to celebrate going through the Jordan River. Um, they celebrate it with Passover, which actually takes them back 40 years to, to, to coming out of Egypt, which... All of them came out as, as kids or teenagers at the, at the, at the latest. <laughs> and they come back and they go, you know what, we're going to celebrate it again. We're going to do it again as a reminder that not only did God deliver us 40 years ago, but God delivered us here too. And God brought us into the land that he promised. And God did all that he did. And so they celebrated that idea of Passover. The other idea, and this is a little bit odd for us, but it's the idea of they have this incredible level of commitment to go back and do that which God had told them to do. You see, in the course of 40 years, they had kind of pushed this whole circumcision thing aside. They, they, it wasn't that important. They didn't think it was that big of a deal. But now they're saying, you know what? We're going to go in as God's people. And as God's people, we're going to make this incredibly difficult decision that we are going to go ahead 
and go through a circumcision that we should have done 40 years before. For the last 40 years, we should have been doing this, but we haven't. So from this point on, you need to know it. We're going to go back and make it right. We're going to go back and we're going to make the. And, and when you think about it for a minute, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. These are people who are about ready to go into battle and they go through a, a, a surgical procedure beforehand that's going to make them very difficult in order for them to go into battle. And it's interesting to me that Israel is committed enough to be able to say, we're going to do that. We're going to show publicly our commitment to God through a very intimate, difficult, hard thing to do. And it's fortunate God, and we're fortunate that God doesn't have that, ask that kind of commitment of us today. But the principle is still there where we need to get back to the idea of this idea of commitment. And what I'm afraid of is, is, is what happens is it's easy sometimes to push that stuff aside. And I would challenge you in 2021 to step back and ask yourself, what's the public commitment that you're making to God? What, what is there that publicly lets everyone know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? You need to know Jesus Christ is my Savior and I'm not ashamed of it. For the early church and for us today, um, the Bible is very, very clear that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, one of the first acts of obedience is baptism. The idea that you make a public statement to everybody, I'm a follower of Christ. You go, well, baptism just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I don't think it's that important, and blah, blah. Here, here's why it's important, because Jesus said to do it. That's why it's important. Why was circumcision important? Because God said to do it. That's why. Well, it just seems silly. It doesn't make a lot of sense to be associated with God's people that way for Israel. Well, it doesn't matter. It's what God said. And the same thing, God set up and said, you know, look, put your faith and trust in me, baptize. Let the world know you're a child of God. But you're not ashamed of it. Let everybody know. One of the ways that we do that is through our worship. We, believe it or not, every time we get in our car and we drive to a, a service, we're letting people know, you know what, we're committed to Jesus Christ. We have carved out this time in our schedule every week to worship with other people, with 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 with. With God for God. We're making that public, very outward commitment. <clears throat> One of the problems that I have um, with um, online worship is, it, it, I'll be honest with you, most pastors are finding it. I knew this going into this, and, and it hasn't disappointed. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Um, it's a two-edged sword. Um, there are incredible things with it. We, we're, we're able to um, have people who cannot physically be here worship and, and be a part of the service, and that's awesome. Uh, but uh, we also have um, the ability to uh, reach people who physically don't even live in this area, and that, that's awesome. It's great that we can do that. But one of the problems that you come, that comes, the, 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 the flip side of that is this. One of the problems with the online community, one of the problems with online anything is anonymity is the idea that you can go and you can be a part of it without being a part of it. You can be a part of it without being committed to it. Um, that's the whole design within the Internet itself, is that there's that level of anonymity. And when you start to add that into worship, it gets very, very muddy. And so what we're seeing, and we're seeing this across the board, we're seeing people who now have a and, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it a convenience-oriented Christianity. 
rather than a commitment-oriented Christianity. The idea is that I'm going to worship God at my convenience. Um, I'm going to worship God when it's easy for me. And, and here's what I would say. This idea of commitment has this idea of something that's set, something that's focused. It has this idea of um, you can, dependability. It has this idea of, a, of, of uh, uh, tethering, if you will. And there's tremendous value. You know, we talk about teaching your kids. There's tremendous value in ritual. There's tremendous value um, in routine and structure. And one of the things that we've had in, in history before is this idea of uh, corporate worship structured. It was at a certain time every week, and everybody gathered, and we all did it. And, and for years, it was done as a whole community. And that, then as, as stuff started spreading out, now it, it gets harder and harder. And so now we've, we've got the idea that, you know, that... that we have all these different kinds of times that you could come for church. And then everything started becoming more and more convenient, and, and it gets more and more complicated. And I, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I understand the blessings that come with an online thing, but I also understand the, 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 the curses that come with it. And here's what I would say to you. If, if, if online is the way that you're going to do things, then make a commitment to it that A, it's going to be in a public way, and B, that it's going to be consistent. In other words, if I was doing it with my family and I had children, my children would understand that at whatever time, whether it's 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock, every Sunday night, we sit down together and we watch online as a family. Every Sunday, there are no exceptions to this. If somebody's sick, okay, but in other words, it's that idea of setting up that, that consistent commitment that, that instills in life. Here in Israel, what you have is as they go forward in the promised land. The first thing they do is they make this serious, serious commitment. I mean, a, a minor surgical procedure that takes three to five days to heal, and they're going, you know what? We're that committed to it that we are going to do that. Why? Because we want our God to know we want to be associated with Him. And one of the things that happens when you're trying to raise children or grandchildren or whatever else, this idea of consistency, this idea of consistent commitment where God is at the center of your life. And again, I think you can do that online, but what, I, what I'm afraid of is I see too many people using it as convenience rather than, 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 than the commitment side of it. And we have people who, I, let me tell you something, if we're not online at 1035, I know it, you know, because they're, they're dependent on every week. And, and that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that kind of commitment deal where you have that commitment. Again, maybe your challenge for 2021 is this. Maybe you may need to make a commitment regarding baptism. Maybe you need to make a commitment regarding your testimony at work where you need to be more faithful and more bold about your witness with your neighbors or your loved ones or your family. Maybe it's a commitment that you need to make to say, you know what, okay, here's what we're going to do for our family. We are always going to worship every week at this time in this format, whatever that format is. But I want to challenge you as we head into 2021 to take, tackle this issue of commitment. What is it that God wants you to do in 2021 that you know you should be doing or you should have done that you haven't done. 
Because what Israel does is before they go into Jericho, before they take their first battle, one of the first things that they do as they enter the promised land is they celebrate and they commit themselves to God for the journey ahead. And I think that's a great lesson for us as we head into 2021. So this morning I end with this. After Israel prepares to cross the Jordan, the day came when they had to act. They had to do something. So they go forward in faith, trusting that the God of the desert will also be the God of the water. No barrier, including a flooded river, would keep them from the land God had promised them. They were committed to following God completely, and in the days ahead, may we do the same in 2021. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for the new year. Lord, thanks for getting us through a very difficult 2020. And Lord, while we may not know what battles lie ahead and the journey ahead, we do know that we do not enter it on our own, but we enter it with you by our side. So Lord, would you help us to be committed in the way that we follow you this year, whether it be spending time with you, whether it be taking that next step, whatever that might be. Lord, for those who are hesitant to step out in faith, would you help them to take that first step? And Lord, as we look back at 2021 at some point, Lord, may we be able to see ways that you uh, led, guide, and directed in each of our lives. Thanks, Lord, for all that you've done. We ask your hand upon our lives as we head into the days ahead. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, uh, Lord bless you. And uh, I guess uh, we will be able to see you um, when we can and uh, trust that you have a good week. Lord bless you. Have a great week.